into a priceless perspective. I'm your hostess, Nicole Steele, and joining us today is Mrs. Brenda Usher. Brenda is a longtime supporter and a former team member here at Diamond in the Rough. I've had the pleasure of working with her in various capacities for close to 10 years. I wanted to have Brenda on the show because she's got an incredible testimony of just the way that she grew up and how she took challenging situations and turned them into triumphant outcomes. Welcome to the show, Brenda. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I know your testimony, and many of the girls in Diamond in the Rough who've had a chance to to hear you, to work with you in various capacities have heard. But can you share with our listeners what it was like growing up as a young person in Rochester, New York? Rochester, um, at the time that I was growing up in the um, early and late 70s and uh, early 80s, was a very progressive town. It was headquarters of Kodak, Xerox, General Motors, and the list goes on and on. So I am the middle child of seven children, which means I had three older and three younger Never had an opportunity to be the oldest, never had the opportunity to be the youngest. So I grew up as as the person that I felt was kind of on the sidelines. Going through elementary school back then, black was not so beautiful, and I was the darkest of all of us. So I had to deal with being called tar baby, ugly, and, and things of that nature. So that's where the low self-esteem starts. Then as I began to grow older, there was something deep inside of me that consistently and constantly told me that I was not worthy of a successful life. Hence, I I headed for the streets. I, um, at the primal age of 14, I was a leader of a gang. We did things from fought to sold drugs. I remember one specific time we robbed a potato chip truck. Anything and everything that I could get into that was certainly not the way that I was taught or brought up, I did. As I began to get older, it it started getting a little worse. I got involved with drug deals, helping people sell drugs, things of that nature. Um, A sophomore in high school, the city school district superintendent wrote my mother a letter and said, I'm not sure what you're going to do with your daughter next year, but attending any public school will not be one of the things. So I had to attend an alternative school called 
Operation Young Adults. And what's so interesting is the low self-esteem that I had or I felt was not deeply rooted enough for me to feel comfortable in that space. There there were girls there that were 15 and 16-year-olds that were pregnant. There were girls there that, that had drug issues at that age. And I think I said earlier, I was involved in selling drugs, but my oldest brother, who had always been my hero, um, went to college, Rockport State University, and got involved with drugs and ended up being a heroin user. And I knew or felt that if drugs could take him down, that they would just destroy me. So while I was destroying others' lives by doing that, I would not partake in the use of drugs. So in the back of my mind while I was attending that school, I thought, you know, this really is not for me. So that I, I made it through that school year in that alternative school and went back to high school in my junior year, and that's when I decided I wanted to graduate from high school because I, as a middle child, if I did not, I would have been the first in my family not to do that. So I put my pedal to the metal and decided, okay, I want, I do want to graduate from high school. Because in my um, freshman year and in my sophomore year, I did absolutely nothing. I had to take this road and go back to all the teachers that I had to talk to them about I wanted to graduate and what could I do to make up for any lost um, studies or anything that I had not given them. And everyone was pretty impressed with the fact that I would do that, gave me all this work. My senior year, I was a little shy of the credits needed to graduate, and I could not accumulate them in day school. So I attended day school and I attended night school. And on the days that I didn't have to go to night school, I worked a part-time job. So I did eventually graduate from high school on time and was not sure about what I wanted to do, so I got a job at Eastman Kodak was not sure if I wanted to go to college, so I started working. And you know, as the story goes, once you start making money, it's hard to go back and say, well, I'm going to start school. At Kodak, again, those um, feelings of low self-esteem and inferiority, every time I got a new assignment, they start to set in, and I ended up with the wrong crowd again. At this time, I'm 18 years old, hanging out once again with the wrong crowd, drugs, everything. But remember, I would not use drugs. So I was involved in selling drugs and um, doing any and everything that, um, as our grandmothers would say, I was big enough to do. But held on to my job, held on to my job. At one point, um, the Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go and they would never depart. I think that's the way the scripture goes. Or if they do, they'll come back. Right. I started feeling uncomfortable in that life, okay? And I knew that that's what, that was not the way I was raised, and it was time to do something different. So I, decide, I, de- I started to, because most times when we decide to leave a situation, we leave before we leave, okay? What I mean by that is mentally I really wasn't there. I knew there had to be a better way for me to live my life. So there were people that I was dealing with that the only way they were able to do the things that they could do was because of me and my personality. 
And as I decided that I wanted to leave, it stopped quite a few people from making money. One person was very dissatisfied with that, so rather than see me walk away and just leave that behind, he decided to drug me with some PCP. So for a long time, I didn't quite know who I was, where I was, and the only reason I didn't end up on the streets as you see people today is because of my family. They would take me from house to house to house, and I wasn't totally out of it. I would go in and out, in and out. And one particular day when I wasn't totally out of it, I heard my mother having a conversation with my uncle who worked at the mental institute in Rochester. And she told him there is absolutely nothing else we could do for her. Eventually I'm going to have to bring her up there. And my uncle told her, give her a little more time because once she comes up there, there's no turning back. When I heard that conversation, the only thing I had left in me was to pray. And I asked God to help me to recover, and he did. And ever since that day, I have been vigilant about helping young people feel better about themselves, helping battered women understand that that's not a life that they have to live Because along the road of um, recovery, if you will, I have been involved in several abusive relationships, okay? I have, um, as a child, as as a young teenager, I was involved in abusive relationships. So it all goes back to self-esteem. One thing that I didn't tell you along the way is that as a young child, I think I was seven, between the ages of seven and nine, I was molested by a family member. So a combination of all of those things contributed to very, very low self-esteem, inferiority complex, and not believing I deserve to live a successful life. So how do you, how do you overcome that, if you will? You overcome it by constantly, constantly telling others your story. Because every time you tell it, you heal a little place that wasn't healed previously. One thing that I have learned is a secret can only hold you hostage as long as it's a secret. And oftentimes, because we get to a certain place in our life, I'm, um, I work for AT&T. I'm a strategic account manager. What what exactly does that mean? That means that I have a base of customers. I have 42 customers, um, and the revenue that they bring to AT&T totals between 15 and $20 million a year. My responsibility is to strategically retain those customers, increase the amount of revenue that they bring to AT&T, and get them to pay their bills, Okay. Remember now, I survived in the streets by the grace of God, but I always had to be strategic. Well, now I'm taking those strategic skills and I'm using those to help my customers operate more effectively and more efficiently in their businesses. So when when you decide that, okay, I want to live my life differently, those things that you have done, there has to be 
a way that you'll be able to use those same things in a positive view or in a positive light. And that's what I have been doing. I was a leader of a gang. Now I um, have a committee called the Business Initiatives Committee that falls under the umbrella of the women of AT&T. I have between 40 and 50 people on my committee. So I am taking those same skills that I used as a leader of a gang and lead my committee into being the face in the community for AT&T and creating a vehicle for the employees to be able to network internally and externally, right? But the journey the journey doesn't end, the struggle doesn't end, because all these things that I have told you, now Satan can use those things to still try to make me feel less than. But what I've learned on the way is that I have tools, and my most useful tool is the Word of God. So when Satan whispers in my ear, well, you don't have a degree, how in the world do you think you're going to be able to accomplish that? I have to reach in my tool bag, and I have to say that God doesn't call the equip. He equips the call. But even with that, whatever path I take, I have to make sure that my steps are directed by him. And I can't be ashamed of the things that I have gone through because what I have learned for me, the things that I have gone through are not for me. They are for me to be able to sit across from a young lady who's been molested and say, look, I've been there, so I'm here to give you some hope. You can get through this. Or to sit across the table from a battered woman and say, don't be don't be confused or fooled by this suit or these heels because I sat on your side of the table. So I'm here to give you some hope. So that is my purpose, that is my quest and I I I I commit myself to that daily. I work at AT&T to pay the bills, but helping women, helping young girls is what I do. And you do it very well. I know I've seen you in action. Your passion, your drive, your transparency, all of that, it makes a difference because, like you said, God, he didn't just save you just to save Brenda, but he saved you and he's allowed your test to now become your testimony. Let's talk a little bit more about the work that you do in helping young people and women who are victims of domestic violence and dating violence. I know that you have a very powerful story from your young adulthood um, in being in, a, in an abusive relationship, and it's, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about that with our listeners. Not at all. You know, I think that as children we emulate um, what we see as we become adults. My very first relationship was a very, very abusive relationship. I met this guy when I was 15 years old, and, um, of course, we started talking on the phone because with the brothers that I have, it wasn't too safe for him to come to the house. But when I turned 18, he started coming over, and once I got the job at Kodak, I moved out on my own, and he moved in with me. Well, we would fight and we would make up. We would fight, we would make up. And I thought, you know, because that's what I saw my stepdad and my mom do. They used to fight and they used to make up. 
I thought that, okay, that's how this is supposed to happen. And I'm sure the guy that I was with saw the same thing in his household. And he thought possibly that that was the way it was supposed to happen. Things change when you get tired, and I just got tired. I just got tired of going through that. I just felt like it has to be something better. And, again, you know, you have to be very careful when you get into these situations because they're a lot easier to get into than they are to get out of. This guy tried to to take my life. After I moved out, I saw him one night, and he said he wanted to talk. And as he was walking toward the vehicle that I was in, I saw that it was going to be trouble. But I could not get the window rolled up before he got his arm inside the car. And he dragged me out of the car and beat me unconsciously. And when I woke up, I was in the park and he was molesting me. God gave me the wisdom to sit to talk him out of, because he told me he was going to throw me in the river after he got done with me. Talk him out of doing that. We went back to the house, and he didn't have a phone, so I told him I needed to go make a phone call because I would call his job and my job, and we would be able to just spend the day trying to mend things. Well, needless to say, I was able to get away from that and, you know, here I am today, but it was it was a really, really bad situation, and it scarred me for a long time. And, and oftentimes I still reflect back on that. And that's why I try to make it my business, if you will, to when I come in contact with young girls to make sure I let them know never, ever let anyone treat you less than you deserve to be treated. And oftentimes, Nicole, they don't even know what that means. Right. How am I supposed to be treated with the way these videos and everything is, you know? So I have to make sure that they understand what self-love is. That's so important. And you're right. We have a society that we live in where women and girls are disrespected in the music, in the movies. I mean, just everywhere, the commercials. Oh, just the, I was watching <laughs> Well, I won't go there, but, yeah, my husband and I were watching television, just regular television, regular channel, and just looking at the sexualization and how they just treat women as objects. It's disgusting, but it is something that we have to teach young girls and grown folks as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, It starts with loving ourselves. It starts there, looking in that mirror, embracing the reflection that we see looking back at us, and us setting the bar and setting the standard. I think that it's very powerful. I know that you work with uh, and have in the past with various agencies. I know you're very active with your church and helping women. But what are some of the things that listeners who might have found themselves in unhealthy relationships, because there's no... There's no, uh, I guess, profile. There's this misconception that this kind of person is abused. But you know and I know it transcends race, it transcends age, it transcends economic status. Even people who appear to have it all together can be victims. And it's not always just the physical abuse. You know, there's the verbal, there's the emotional. Um, And so can you kind of 
speak to somebody who may be listening, a young girl, even a mother who may be dealing with shame and guilt, condemnation, dealing with all of that, and how can she come up out of that situation and turn her life around like you've turned your life around? I I think that, as you said, there's no profile. There is no, absolutely no profile. I have a friend and I'm very I'm very um, cautious about how I use that word. I have a friend that worked with me at AT&T. We met admiring the different pairs of shoes we wear. And one day she came to my desk and just sat down. Two weeks ago, she married a college professor. She was in two abusive marriages, okay? She was so afraid and so ashamed, and I think that's where people get stuck. They get stuck in the fact that this is not supposed to be happening to me. I'm supposed to be too aware and too smart to be in a situation like this. You know what happens? We get stuck right there because it's almost unbelievable that we have allowed ourselves to get into that situation. The one thing that I have learned through all of this When you realize you've made a mistake, you don't have to live in it. Oftentimes people think that, okay, you know, I've invested a year. A year turns into two years. Two years turns into three years. And I'm going to try and make this work. A marriage, a relationship is not easy. Anytime two people come together, it's going to take some effort but it shouldn't hurt on a consistent basis. That's what I would say. It should not hurt on a consistent basis. And two people get together to work through it. There should not be a domineering person in the relationship. It's not going to always be 50-50, okay, but there should be some type of reciprocation. There should be some type of regard for the other person's feelings. There should be some type of respect for the other person. And and when when those things are not happening, that's a problem. And if you recall, Nicole, when I was telling you about the situations that I was in that were not um, conducive to me living a successful life, there was always something deep inside me that nagged at me to let me know that I shouldn't be living like this. And I think, I think, I honestly believe that's the same in all of us, mm-hmm. okay? But we can't drown that nagging feeling or that voice out, and that's when time starts to slip away from us, and that's when we get lost in some cases. But that's why I'm so vigilant about talking to as many people as I can, and that's why I appreciate you so much for having me tonight, because there is always hope. Hope is never, ever lost. Sometimes we just have to hear, because God talks to us through other people, through songs, through He's always trying to find a way to help us understand this is not the life that I created for you. So if if there was one thing that I would have to say to someone who might be stuck and not know the way out is believe that you deserve better. Believe. You just have to believe 
Because what you believe, you can achieve. So if you believe that you deserve better, you'll find a way out. There are so many women that have been lost, that have lost their lives to domestic violence because they did not believe it was a way out. Even if they left, they went back because they did not believe that that person would harm them. Or even if they did believe it, they didn't have the strength to walk away. And a lot of people don't realize that your children are watching you. They're watching everything that you do, and at some point they're going to emulate some of the things that they see you do, some of the things that they hear you say. So we have to be very, very vigilant about how we act around our children, you know, because children turn into young adults, teenagers, and then adults. And we set the foundation by what we let them see us do at home. Now, I know that your faith is one of the things that has brought you through. I know you had a supportive family, um, which you mentioned a little bit. Can you talk about the importance of surrounding yourself with positive people? Because you talk about your childhood and the choices you made as a teenager and young adult and some of the people, but at some point, obviously, you realized that everybody wasn't going where God was calling you. So how can people who are finding themselves around unhealthy friends and boyfriends and different people, how can they begin to separate themselves? Or is it important, in your opinion, to surround yourself with positive people? Absolutely, because because you are definitely a product of your environment, okay? And, you know, young young adults, teenagers, they have to be very careful about what they what they allow to get in their spirit, what they feed themselves, okay? Yes. Because whatever you feed is going to grow. When you find yourself in a situation that, because a lot of the young girls or the girls that I hung out with, a lot of them are either trying to recover from drugs and some of them are not even alive today. So you have to, first of all, think about where you want to go. Okay, because any time we're going someplace that we've never been before, we need directions. Any time that there is a path for us, we have to decide, okay, how can I get to where I need to go? Um, I went to this church yesterday, and this young man who has cancer, I think he's 13 years old, and I heard the minister talking about him. She said that he already knows what college he wants to go to, He knows everything about the college. He knows how long it's going to take him to get through the college. Then he has a sight set on a a master's degree. This young man, even with the illness that he has, has decided he is not going to let that stop him. He's going to go as far as the Lord will allow him to go. And, And to a lot of young children or young adults, all that sounds corny because of so many things that they're feeding themselves as it relates to the music, as it relates to um, what they see on TV. When you find yourself in a situation that, okay, I, I want to make some different choices, but it's so hard to, I would say there has to be, for all of those who are in school, there has to be some organizations in the school that will allow them to fit in with those people as it did the people that's not so conducive to them being successful. You know, talk to your parents. 
your parents want the best for you. So they will always, always try to help you as it relates to advice or the direction you want to go. And it's so hard, Nicole. It's so hard in this day and time, much harder than it was for me because there are so many things that feed negatively into these young young minds that we have coming to life. So it's, it's very, very hard. I would say look at the organizations you have in your school. Look on the Internet. These young kids will look on the Internet for anything. So look on the Internet for organizations in your county or in your neighborhood. Diamond in the Rough, of course, would be an organization. Reach out. You, you, you have to reach out. That's when I think I really started to turn my life around is when I started reaching out in other areas um, to look for something to replace the things that I was doing. And that takes a lot of courage, and it also can take humility. I mean, even you talking about how you got your mindset after going to the alternative school and you decided, I need to finish school, you had to humble yourself and you had to go back to the teachers that maybe you had fussed at or walked out on. I mean, I can only imagine you in high school. I can only imagine. But uh, <laughs> but you had to humble yourself and go back and say, listen, I need help. Teachers, I need your help. Just asking those questions, whether it's, like you said, from people at school, from your parents, mentors, coaches, Bible study teachers, whoever. There are resources around, and so often it's not just with young people, but even as grown people, we can miss opportunities that are right in front of us because of pride, because of fear. You talked about fear even before we got got on in the interview, but I know that you have a term that you use when it comes to fear because that can paralyze people. And, and what do you, what do you, how do you describe fear to those that you uh, that you minister to? It's um, to me, it's an acronym that stands for false expectations appearing real. Because oftentimes we set these illusions in our minds that I can't make it because of this, I can't make it because of that, and that's exactly what it is. You know, I, I, I'm really glad that Diamond in the Rough is a faith-based organization. Because I have to keep going back to, you know, Satan is an illusionist. He creates these illusions for us to believe that we can't do it. And and when you talk about humility, that is so important. But But where do young people get pride from? They get it from their parents. Now, that's mm-hmm. not to say that, you know, parents are teaching their kids wrong, teaching them to have pride. But sometimes we have to be careful how we address our children. I hear my husband talking to my son. I have a 14-year-old by marriage that's been living with us for the last five years. And when he came, he would be very, very prideful. But I, I, I watched him, and he was just covering up how he really felt. Well, every other Saturday, he and my husband, they hang out and they talk he takes them to the barbershop, and they just hang out. And one of the things that my husband has taught him is humility. There's nothing wrong with humility. There's nothing wrong with, if you don't know the answer, ask for help. There is something wrong with, if you don't know the answer, and you don't ask for 
I was so proud of him because my first parent-teacher conference this year, his social studies teacher said, my Quan raised his hand today and said, I don't really understand this. She said, I wanted to shed tears because so often children don't do that. Young people don't do it. Adults don't do it. So we have got to find out what is real pride and what is a false sense of pride. And I think that as an adult, I'm still learning that. I'm still learning that even at work, I watch people. I know they don't know the answer, and they won't ask anyone. So I try to learn from every situation. And, you know, what's so interesting is sometimes when I ask something and they look at me like, you don't know that, but they don't have the answer either. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Yeah, so we we just have to make sure, you know, one of the things that uh, one of his teachers told me is that, you know, it all starts at home. And we just have to make or allow our children to feel comfortable enough to talk to us. It was very hard for me when my Quan first came and he would tell me some of the things that happened at school. I had to be careful not to react a certain way because I didn't ever want him not to want to tell me anything. So while he's probably learning from me, I'm learning from him as well. I have learned patience. I have learned not to judge at all, because sometimes we judge our children, and then that creates a wall for them. I have a a saying that that I, I mentioned and to remind our parents in Diamond in the Rough of, and that's that home should be the safe place. It's just like in in the game of of baseball, which I don't watch often, but home is safe. It's the safe place because they're going out into this world. We can't control the things that they interact with at school or, you know, in the streets, but home should be a place where they can let their walls down, be loved unconditionally, be nurtured, be be chastised when they need to be chastised, get the truth and love, that whole balance. But it is something that we have to constantly be mindful of as parents and and caregivers. And for young people to know that your parents and those that God has entrusted you to their care, that they have your best interest at heart. And so when your family, whether it's in a dating relationship where the family says, mm, not him, mm-mm, if, that, if you can't bring that, young man around your parents because they're not going to like him. <laughs> you might want you might want to take heed to that. You know, secrets. Secrets they can destroy on so many different levels. But I thank you, Brenda. I I just commend you for all of the work that you're doing, again for allowing your voice to be heard, allowing your testimony to empower other people. I think I agree that there is power in sharing our story. So if there are listeners out there that have been, I guess, paralyzed by fear and shame and guilt, find support systems, whether they're groups, um, as Brenda said, in your schools, in your churches. Find like-minded people. Find positive people. Um, if you 
ask around and you can't find any, search a little bit longer. If you find people, if you find out that you're reaching out to one person and they're not reciprocating, you know, a desire to help, you find somebody else. Don't just stop there. But, Brenda, how can our listeners contact you? I know that you're a dynamic speaker. I know that you're doing a lot in the community here in Metro Atlanta. How can people get in contact with you, maybe have you come out and speak? Do you do speaking engagements? I do. I do, as a matter of fact. I am president of the Domestic Violence Ministry. Um, And, hey, this may be what we call a shameless plug, but I'm going to do it. I am the president of the Domestic Violence Ministry at, at my church, Hope World Missionary Baptist Church, and we're actually going to have a domestic violence awareness luncheon where I'm going to speak and give my full testimony. And we want we will have women there from shelters. We are planning to give you some tickets so you can bring some girls just to kind of hear, and we're going to have a panel discussion, um, three people that domestic violence has touched their lives in different ways. So, and that's going to be December 7th, and um, I can give, I don't have a website as of yet, but I can certainly give my phone number, and if someone finds it in their heart that any part of my testimony may help someone that they know or they'd like me to speak, come speak to a group, I am certainly open for that. Excellent. And so what's that number or email address? We can give them the number, and that okay. number is 678-887-0104. All right. Well, again, Brenda, we thank you and we wish you all the best. Look forward to your event in December and and coming out and helping to uh, support and bringing people out to raise awareness. And for those of you that are listening, remember, this is just yet another example that how you start out does not necessarily determine how you'll finish. The choice ultimately is in your hand. So, Take advantage of the resources. Take advantage of the wisdom that God places before you. Learn from people like Brenda and some of the other great people who have have been on the show here at A Priceless Perspective. And remember that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's the bottom line. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And so we thank you for tuning in to A Priceless Perspective. Thank you again, Brenda for joining us, and you have an open invitation to come back anytime, okay? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right. God bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Join the conversation. Visit us online at pricelessperspective.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. This show has been brought to you in part by Simon & the Rough Youth Development Program Incorporated and Gem Makers, LLC.